chances you would take To a crystal meth will lift you up until you break It won't stop, I won't come down and keep stop With the tick-tock rhythm, a bump for the drop and then a Just trust me, okay? This is Michael. We are back with another installment. Um, we're talking about recovery stories with the fabulous Maria. Hi, Maria. Hey. Glad you're still here. So this is now the fifth segment, and we're talking about what happened towards the end. And to remind people of where we're at, this entire span of time we're talking about is basically over the course of 20 years mm. plus of using. Jeez. But the biggest segment of that that the most happened is probably in the last about eight years of you using is mm-hmm. when it finally just started spinning out of control left and right, left and right, left oh, and yeah. right. And I think what a lot of people realize and what I've heard in a lot of people hearing a lot of people's stories is it does that. It gets to a point where because you're so busy looking for more and more and more and more, I need to chase this, I need to get this, I need to get this. That's all that's going to happen. You hit a point point of eventually people start getting locked up. People are getting hurt. Mm-hmm. People are ODing. Things are just spinning out of control. Money's not getting paid. Now people are homeless. And that's where you're at. So you're at a point where your boss, who has presented you with a great opportunity, but then Addict Maria is skimming off the top. Mm-hmm. And then he decides, instead of going, oh, precious faux daughter that I'm helping, he's like, hey, Maria, look, I know what you've been doing. So how about you do what I want? And I'll let it go. Exactly. And you were like, fuck no. Mm-hmm. I don't care how fucked up I am. No. Right. So you tell him no, and he goes to ahead to move on your landlord, who is his friend. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you are waking up to people packing up your shit and getting you the hell out of there. Yes. So your friend takes your daughter. What month and year are we at? We're in 2019? Yep, we're 2019, and this is September. Yeah, this is like towards the end of September. Okay, so end of September 2019, you're basically being forcibly removed from your residence. Yes. So where do you go next? What happens next? My my friend... And you have no job. And I have no job. Um, my friend, uh, takes my daughter, you know, and, and my daughter basically is now staying with her out in Suffolk and, um, I, here I am, you know, and then they, they ended up stop, you know, they stopped packing stuff. And then my boss looked at me and said, well, you have 24 hours to vacate. So you need to take all this and put it all in this trailer and, you know, we'll take it to a storage unit. And so, um, they left. And so I'm sitting here with all this shit, you know, and I'm like, you know, and at this point, my friend moved out, you know, my brother, he moved out and moved on with some friends in Suffolk. And, you know, so I'm alone, you know, I'm, and I'm sitting here with all this wonderful things that I accumulated, you know, um, and my drug dealer who sold meth and, and heroin and crack and all that lovely stuff, you know, he always bugged me for some of my things. Like, I like your TV or I like your leather couch. So I call him and say, hey, I'll trade you, you know, my leather couch for some drugs. And, okay. you know, I, like, so I started making deals with him. And then um, I said, you know, can I come crash at your place for like a week? So I'm at his house for a week now. Now here I am living with my drug dealer mm. off a couch. Yep. This is now the third drug dealer you've lived with? 
Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, second. Yeah, second. Okay. Yeah, second one. Yep. And so I'm living with him, and I'm just, you know, uh, his dad was actually gone for, on a vacation or something, so I was able to have his dad's room to myself, thank God, because this dude, I mean, good God, he was, like, nasty, and he was a freak, and I didn't want to be near him. Right. You know, so I'm like, oh, great, I got my own room. And so here I am, I'm trading things for drugs, and I was still able to skim off the company because, you know, I took something, and I was able to just skim more money off the company even though I was done. Even though you weren't there. Even though I weren't there. Wow. And so here I am with still hundreds of dollars a day in money. And I, at this point, I've reached this bottom in my head in my life. I'm like, I do not want to live here. and Or like this. Or like this, you know. And I end up writing a letter to my son and writing a letter to my daughter for her to read when she gets older because I was planning on killing myself. Wow. And I even um, texted my friend and said, you know what? You're going to be such a great mother to my daughter. Um, I need you to take care of her, you know, like like I could never do. And um, so I, I was strong and gung-ho about doing this. And the best way that I wanted to do it was to go out like Corey did. Because I know, like, even though he overdosed, he didn't feel any pain. Right. You know, he went out in this blanket of warmth, and that's what I wanted. So I kept trying to spend so much money on heroin, and for some reason, no matter how much I did, I don't whether it was shitty or good, because there was times where it was really good. I did a lot, and I kept waking up. Right. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And, um... I go a week without, you know, after I send that to my friend, she's blowing my phone up. She's, and by this time, you're approaching the anniversary of his death. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, yep, you're right. I'm approaching the anniversary of his death. It, it, it's it's right there, you know, at the end of September into very early October. It was like October the 1st or the 2nd when, you know, my friend flips out because she doesn't hear any anything from me she got that one last text messages that basically said goodbye i love you right and so she's flipping out well her little brave tail she she knows that my drug dealer has a video camera pointed out to the street okay so she pulls up purposely right in front of the camera gets out the car with her lights on and just stands there and at first you know my drug girl's like who the hell's that and then I look, and he sees that I know who that is, but I'm trying to act like, I don't know who that is. Right. You know, and then she honks the horn. <laughs> and he's like, you need to go out there because she's going to cause the cops to come, blah, 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 Holy blah, blah. cow. So I go out, and she goes, what the hell kind of text messages was that? Like, where have you been? I haven't heard anything from you. And her husband gets out the car, and he goes, you ain't going back in that house, sis. And I was like, shit. Yeah. You know, and... I start crying. I'm like, just let me die, dude. Just let me just wither out here. You just finally were out of it. I was like, like, just let me die in a corner of this shitty-ass fucking dirty-ass house. Like, just let me go, dude. You know, I was like, y'all just take care of my daughter. And he was like, no, no way. You ain't going back in there. And something came over me, and I said, you know, fuck it. Like, obviously, they're not going to go away. So I said, oh, well, let me go run in and grab, like, the last of my clothes and stuff, right? Okay. And I remember this because this was the last time I used. I ran, I ran in there, 
And I did my... You knew where your stash was. I knew where my... I still had my drugs. I did my last big old hit of crack. Did my last big old hit of meth. <laughs> then I did a whole bunch of heroin. All at the same time, one after all, the other. Just one after the other. I was like, goodbye. That was great. Goodbye. That was wonderful. Goodbye. And I did that. And then I popped two Xanax bars. Jeez. And I came out with my bag of little clothes and I said, let's go. You know, it was that like that Goodfellas, you and know, where he pops the bottle yep. and he's like, take me to jail. That's how I was. I was like, just take me to the hospital. So we go to the hospital and that's, that's where that whole process started again. I told them that I'm over it. I'm going to kill myself if they, if I don't find a way out of this life. And then that's when they take me to the psych center. So this is now October of 2019. Yep. October the 2nd is when they took me to the hospital. And October the 3rd is when I woke up and went to the psych center, when they took me to the psych center. So as of right now, you have your clean date set as? October the 3rd. 10-3-2019. Yep. Okay. And that's a, a massive accomplishment. And so you're at the psych center. How long do you stay at the psych center? 10 days. Okay. And during that 10 days, what are the options that they are presenting you with? How is your stay? How are you feeling? Do you finally feel like there is an end in sight? Oh, God. I did not want to be there. Okay. I feel like I was kind of forced and I just wasn't ready because honestly, it's like I don't want to do this again because throughout my whole addiction... This was my fifth time detoxing at a center. Okay. You know, I did the Norfolk CSB three times. Actually, it was my sixth time. I did Norfolk CSB three times. I did a Suffolk Behavioral Unit once. I did um, Unhampton CSB. And then here I am at the psych center. And I knew, like, I just didn't have it in me. I'm like, I just don't want to do this, you know. And I had it in the back of my head. What am I going to do when I leave? How am I going to use? You know, I just wasn't serious. And I'm detoxing off five different freaking drugs. I'm feeling like crap. All I could do is literally sit in the shower stall and just let the water run down my back. Yep. Because I'm just so utterly beat up and exhausted. Yep. And I wasn't going to group. And the nurses came to me and said, look, you need to get up and out of your room and go to group. Or we're just going to have to send you back to the hospital. You're not eating. You're not drinking. You're not doing anything. Okay. So I said, fine, whatever. (laughs) <laughs> I go and I go to group and I sit there and I'm all pouty and pissed off at the world. And of course we go around and we say our names and I say, hi, I'm Maria. And this girl pops her head out the corner of the room and she goes, Hey, I know you, you're Corey's fiance. I was his neighbor. I grew up with him. Oh, wow. And I just started bawling. Oh, I was of course. like, what the fuck? And yep. the nurses was like, take that as a sign that you should be here. Wow. That was your sign. Powerful you statement. Know? Right. And I said, all right. So I started thinking about that. Maybe I needed that. Maybe that was a sign. Because she did. She gave me funny stories about him growing up. And it was kind of like. He was there. It, yeah. He, like he was there. And it made me so comfortable. And I was like, you know, maybe I am supposed to be here. Um I was doing, um, I was doing good. You know, I started seeing a light at the end of the tunnel and the options that they gave me were, um, you know, they said, number one, hello, you've been an addict for so long. You need to get on some medication, suboxone, methadone, something. And I said, doc, my problem isn't physical. Once the physical has gone, I'm okay. 
it's it's in here that I need help with, you know? And in here was your head. My head, yeah. Yep. And I was like, it's in my head that I need help with, you know? And he goes, well, you know, and, I, and I'm not against medically assisted treatments. If it works, it works. Great. But to me, like I said before, I've been prescribed Suboxone. I've mm-hmm. seen Corial Methadone. It didn't work for us. And, and I knew that my disease would say, don't take the Suboxone, Maria. Just sell it for money. Or... Just if you do take the Suboxone, make sure you do enough heroin to override that Suboxone and get high. Like, that's how my brain works. And so, you know, I I told him that. And then he goes, well, I suggest a 30-day rehab. And I said, okay, you know, I'll try that. And then um, another person said, you can also try uh, sober assisted living um, or a sober living house. Um, and it's, they said, and I never heard of this before. They said, um, you know, you can do an Oxford house. And at first when I heard that, I was like, oh no, that's the house where everyone ends up going to and using, you know, I've heard so many horror stories, like screw that. I'll just do a rehab. So that's what you had heard at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Was that these, so supposed sober houses, especially what you had heard of Oxford was that you go there, but you're using, but you're living together. Mm -hmm. Okay. So do you remember where you heard that from? Oh, it was a while back when I was using, um, you know, ripping and running out in Portsmouth. I met this dude, uh, and he told me, he goes, yeah, I live in the Oxford house. I got to be in by 11, so I got to make sure I cop these drugs real quick before I go back home. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great intro. (laughs) So I'm like, what is an Oxford house? He goes, oh, it's a place where you can stay, you know, you pay cheap rent, you know, and you ain't supposed to use, but you can still use. And everyone, you know, just, they share kitchen and this and that. And I'm going, who the fuck wants to live in a house with random ass other addicts and use? Like, that just sounds like a flop house to me. Right, That you right. pay for. Like, screw that. So that's what my idea was. Of, a, of an of Oxford, Oxford house, house at that was. time. Yeah, right. at that time. So they give you all these options. So what ended up happening with that? What did you do? I just gave it to my higher power. I signed up to go to Galax. Okay. And because they were waiting on a bed. Okay, and, and Galax then, is what? It, Galax was a rehab center out in, I think, Galax, Virginia, Yes, right? it is. Yeah. It is. Uh-huh. <laughs> I Galax, just wanted you to Virginia. explain it to those that don't know. Oh, okay, thank you. Yeah, it, it's a Galax rehab center out in Galax, Virginia. Virginia. Yep, and, and you go there for a long period of time, like 30 days, and, you know, it's just an extension of detox, you know, and to me, that's what it is to me, and... You know, um, that was an option because I didn't want to go back to my parents' house because I've used there before. And I already know if I go there, it's only going to be a matter of weeks before I fall back and I use and um, or manipulate my parents into giving me money, you know, all that stuff. And for those who aren't familiar with Galax, I will say that when I've dropped that name before, people are quite familiar. And as it is listed, they are the leading residential outpatient and detox rehab center. Yes. So they they have a lot of traffic that comes in and out of oh, there. Yeah. How was your experience there? Did you feel that that was helpful? How long did you stay? Well, I didn't even uh, I didn't even go. Oh. Um, they they were they told me it was going to be like twenty days for a bed. Okay. And I was getting out like two days, and then this other woman said, "Oh, we'll try an Oxford house. You know, you could do this." And at first, I was like, "Uh, eh, I don't want to do an Oxford house." At first. At first. And so I said, "All right, I'll either do Galax or I'll just go back home to my parents and try." Okay. And so on your own again, on my own for the millionth time, for the millionth time. And so, you know, and my friend Stacy was so nervous. She's like, I really want you to go to rehab. I really don't want you to go back to your parents' house. 
So um, I tried to do things. I said, okay, well, keep my phone from me for 30 days. Just take my phone. So I don't have any contacts. I don't know to call anybody. Just take my phone. So I gave her that. And um, before I left detox, um, there was an H&I meeting. And they came in and they talked about the 12-step program in A. I never really even gave N.A. a chance, you know, or even thought about it. Because by now you'd heard of it a few times and you were like, nope, nope. Yeah, I'm like, nope, it doesn't work. Look what's happened to Corey, you know what I mean? Or when I see it in the movies, I'm like, it's just a bunch of people sitting in a circle crying. Like, how is that going to help me stay clean? Right. You know, know, it's retarded. I'm not going to waste my time with that. And But I met one of my friends, um, James, who I've known since I was 16. I used to work with him out in Portsmouth, you know, at a restaurant. And I looked at him and I was like, where the hell I know you wrong? And he was like, oh, we used to work together. Remember? I was like, oh, shit, yeah. And he goes, yo, I heard you died. And I was like, well, I did, kind of basically, yeah. And, um, you know, that's when he told me, you know, give me a try, try it, try it, try it when you first get out. So I said, okay, I'll try it. And when I got out, you know, I didn't know what else to do with myself. And I was so desperate at that point for something new, a change. And it took me four hours to get to my first meeting. My very first meeting, it took me four hours. I had to ride the bus, the tide, the bus again, all the way from Hampton Boulevard, Naval Base, Norfolk, all the way back to the oceanfront to go to the psych center for a meeting. Wow. Yeah. I was just like. If that's not willingness, I don't know what <laughs> exactly. is. Exactly. <laughs> I said, this, you know, let me just, because I didn't even have a phone. I'm like, what else are you going to do, Maria? You know, just go to try this out. So I go there and he was there and he was excited and he cheered for me. I got my first white chip and, um. In that fellowship, they do tags. Tags, yep. I got my first tag, and or key tag, yep. They do Correct. the key tag. So mm-hmm. I got my first key tag. And, you know, after that, you know, um, he was helping me get to meetings and everything. And I told him, I don't know what I'm going to do because if I stay at my parents' house, I'm going to end up using. I don't know what else to do. And he goes, well, let's try. I live in an Oxford house. This is what works for me. And I told him what I thought of an Oxford house. He goes, no, not at all. You know what I mean? He's like, it's not like that at all. He goes, the people who abuse it, like that one gentleman that I mentioned earlier did, don't last long. Like it, you know, you don't stay dirty in an Oxford house. Okay. Um, So uh, he said, give it a try. And he introduced me to one of my uh, best friends now, Kristen. And, you know, we, I got an interview there. I ended up moving into Oxford and I'm still there today. But, so um, let's take a break for one moment. We're going to uh, come right back. We are going to let us have a message from one of our sponsors. I've seen those English travels too. They're cruel. So if there's any other way to spell what it is. the fuck about an Oxford comma. I've seen those English travels too. They're cruel. So- Welcome back. So. We left off that you had just finally heard a much better representation of what an Oxford House is. Right. Now, for those that don't know, um, Oxford House is a nonprofit, world-recognized organization. And I will say from my own experience and from doing research on them and all of this, they do claim and apparently have the facts and figures to back it up. They have the highest success rate of sending people out and successfully reacclimating back into life, whatever that looks like for that person. Mm-hmm. They are not saying that they stay in some sort of a program. They are not saying this, that, or the other. They're saying that they stay in some way, shape, or form productive as a person again. So for you, 
you went ahead and decided, fine, this is another sign. Mm -hmm. Now, you know this person, and you're hearing it from someone else, Mm -hmm. and you've told them your story about what you heard, and they automatically shoot that down. They're like, that is not even nearly what it is, because I had heard something similar myself Mm -hmm. as an alumni from an Oxford house. Um, I, I had heard some similar stories, so I was nervous and apprehensive, but what ends up happening is the willingness takes over. Mm-hmm. I like what you said a little bit ago um, previously that, you know, I needed something different. Yes. Because clearly what I've been doing since I have all the sense has not been working. No. So whatever that looks like. And he's telling you, yeah, just give it a chance. Give it a chance. So we are now looking at your new date of being clean was, or is 10 3 mm-hmm. So how long before you move into your first and current Oxford house? Uh, it was just a couple weeks after I got out to psych center, you know, because Galax, I was still waiting on that bed. And that's when I did the interview and I told Stacy and everybody, my family, I said, whatever comes to me first, I'll do. Okay. You so know, if it was Galax or the house or the house, I'll just, you know, um, that willingness, that surrender, whatever is meant to happen for me at that point in time will happen. Okay. And Galax never worked out. Oxford house accepted me. Okay, so Oxford House accepted you. How did you, you had the funds to get in and all this, no problem? (laughs) I did not have the funds to get in. Um, I was nervous because, you know, when you're approved, you have a week to move in. Correct. To get the funds together and everything. And I am trying to, you know, find side jobs. And there's actually people that live in Oxford that can help you work with them. So I did a couple of side jobs, but it still wasn't enough. And it was around the time of James's celebration, you know, and during his celebration, he had a couple come in from North Carolina. And this couple, man, they are just, they were funny. Angels. They were just angels. They were just good old, you know, old couple. They loved to, you know, you know, uh, cut up and joke and stuff like that. And they were just so sweet. And they were telling me, you know, they're like, wow, you know, you're only 20 days clean. What are your plans and stuff like that? And I'm like, well, right now I'm just trying to get into this Oxford house. And his name was Prince, was Prince and Alvina. Prince asked me, well, how much do you need? And I'm like, shoot, right now, you know, I need food. I need a blanket, pillows. You know, I need all these things. I'd say about $400, and all I got right now is 80 bucks in my pocket. And he goes, shoot, girl, he just five. And he just, like, gave me $500. Just wow. like that. And he wow. was like, go get your ass in that Oxford house. And I'm crying. I'm like, there's no way I can accept this, dude. This is too much money. And he goes, no, 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 no. He goes, just make sure that one day you pay it forward wow. to somebody else who needs it when you have it. He said, just promise me that. And okay. I was like, all right. You know, so yeah, he gave me the money I needed to move into Oxford. And, um, yeah, like that, God, man, I, I, I thank them for that. Because if they didn't do it, I, I... I don't you didn't know, know what you were going to do. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't skim off the company anymore. I was basically broke. Like, I came to Oxford with two bags of clothes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but at least you had clothes because I came to Oxford with, um, I think it was four bags of hand-me-down clothes from a closet at the facility I was getting out of. Mm-hmm. So I I do recall that. And, yeah, it's, it's tough. Um, but you came in. Mm-hmm. You were finally able to. Clearly, there was a way now... During this time, for those two weeks, you were going to meetings through NA, Narcotics Anonymous, Mm -hmm. and you found hope there. Yes. Now, did you consistently go in Oxford? Once you enter, you only have to go for a month. 
Right. Five meetings a week, correct? Yes. Okay. So with that in mind, your month is up. Well, we in, in our women's house, they they agreed to change it to two months, actually. Okay, yeah. Because they some, noticed girls were relapsing real quick after just 30 days. And I was in one where that's the policy that I switched it to, and yep. it definitely made a difference. So it you, does. So you did that for two months, and then when you stopped after the two months and you didn't have to go five days a week, what did you do? Did you keep going? Did you stop? What happened? Uh, yes, because um, as soon as I started going to the program from day one when I got my white key tag. Um, I just took in everything everybody was telling me. Um, and one of them was, hey, if you're brand new, do 90 and 90. They said, if you do 90 meetings in 90 days, you get to meet everybody. You get to actually, you know, see all the different meetings that's around the area. You know, you can you'll see you'll start seeing the same people go to these meetings you can connect with them you know and get to you know just it just helps get you you know uh what's the word like infiltrated into the program yeah acclimated acclimated thank you and and yeah and and, and it helps you get that and um so i started doing that so even if when my contract was up and since i was doing 90 and 90 like the contract with them was easy peasy like i just i had meetings done no matter what and um, I still did like that extra, you know, little bit afterwards. And, um, and yes, at this I point, you, you were doing the 90 and 92 mm-hmm. because you really needed to do something different. But the other thing that you were really focused on was, you know, you had clearly exhausted everything else that had ever happened before then. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So here you are with over the top willingness. Yes. To do this. So you're committed to the 90 and 90. And what were some of the suggestions that you received? Um, other than the 90 and 90, of course, you know, you, you were told that women stick with women, men stick with men. Because surprisingly, when you take drugs away from addicts, what's the next best instant gratification? Physical. Well, yes. You get a lot of horn dogs in those meetings, so... You know, they'll be the first ones to give you a cigarette if you don't have one. Right. <laughs> the first ones to give you a ride home if you need one. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, um, you, that's I, so I, I do believe that that's a good strong point, you know, um, to women stick with women, men stick with men. Um, I also was told to push yourself and be of service. You know, I was still feeling like crap at this point in time. And they were like, come early, help set up the chairs. And I'm like, oh, God, that sounds like a lot. And so, and and um, what else? You know, help, you know, help a newcomer out if you can. Introduce yourself. Like, be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that was all new to me because, like I said, I'm feeling like crap. I'm not on any, you know, um, assisted medication. I'm all, like, I'm trying to just heal physically from all this and I'm and I'm sweating bullets just trying to say hi to somebody. Right. You know, um, your nerves are just all over the place. My nerves are all over the place. Right. But, you know, I do it every day. I go to the meetings. I meet somebody. I ask a woman, "Hey, if you're not doing anything, do you mind dropping me off at the house? I got a dollar for gas money." Right. <laughs> They're like, "No, I got you." You know, and they'd buy me a cup of coffee and a pack of smokes. You know, like those little things. Like I still remember to this day. You know. Um, that that just really kept me in the program, like how open and nice people were. And also I would see these people that shared in these stories and they would say, yeah, you know, I woke up in my own vomit and this and that. 
but they drive away from the meeting in a nice ass brand new car. And I'm like, how do they do that? Right. And that's why they talk about attraction <laughs> mm-hmm. rather than promotion. <laughs> and so, yeah. So you're like, what's going on with that? No, what I, what, because I am privy to a little bit, like I said, mm-hmm. 98% not, but 2% yes. And one of the things I know from what you had indicated was you were good with all of the suggestions except what did you hold out on? Mm. Was it a sponsor? It was at first. And was it doing the steps? Yes. Okay, so your oh, biggest... Oh, God. Your, the, the biggest one was the steps. Okay, so you're in and you're going to meetings, going to meetings, going to meetings. You're living in a sober living house, but you're not really feeling the steps. Correct? correct? Yes. Okay, so you're holding off on that. Now, in the meantime... um. You're waiting. What ended up happening first? You met a sponsor, then did the steps quick, like started to try that? Or how long did it take to get to that point where you were about to approach a sponsor or start the steps? It took me a couple months to get a sponsor. Um, There was one woman that I really, really wanted her to be my sponsor uh, because when I was staying, excuse me, at the Norfolk CSB at one point in time during my detox, um, I met her there. And I remembered her face when I saw her at a celebration. And I said, do you remember me? And she goes, yeah, because we share the same story. And she pulled me aside and was like, look, if you ever need anything, let me know. You know, I feel you 100% on your story because I went through the same thing. And so I asked her to be my sponsor. And she told me she had a lot of sponsors at the time. And unfortunately, she couldn't. So I was just kind of like, where does that leave me? Like, oh, God, like, I'm, I, that, you know, that was my only option. I really wanted you to be my See, sponsor. I mean, and the unfortunate thing was there was only all the other women to choose from. <laughs> right. But you had fixated on but that I, one. Yeah, I just wanted yeah. her. That was it, you know. Yeah. And then, so I, I went another month with that one. But then I started talking to this one lady, and I liked the way, you know, she talked and carried herself. And so I said, hey, do you mind helping me out? I've never done this before. Could you be my sponsor? And she said yes, and she's still my same sponsor today. And um, How long after you started working with her did it take you to begin the steps? Oh, my God. It's on my notebook. It literally took me, I'm 16, 16 months clean. Woo! So, yeah. Yeah. So I just finished my first step. And that was, you started that when? <laughs> I started my first step, honestly, probably like that, no, 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 no. Like that December after I got clean. So probably a couple months it took me just to start it. Okay. Just to look at it and say, okay, let me do this question and that question. And then I was like, fuck this. This is a lot of damn writing, you know, and I would put it down and I wouldn't pick it back up for another couple months. Yeah. Do the same thing. Answer five questions and be like, ugh. And then do it over again. Yeah. And now when you talk about these questions, mm-hmm. um, one thing to indicate too is that in that fellowship, so they consider, all these programs consider each other like um, AA is one fellowship, NA is another fellowship. In that particular fellowship, um, to go ahead and supplement your NA big book, there is a workbook. Mm-hmm. So the workbook is what you're referencing that you guys use yes. in order to go through these steps. Yes. So you work with a sponsor to guide you, but then you're also utilizing a workbook to kind of answer questions and go along, correct? Yes. Okay. Yep. Now, I myself, I'm not familiar with that program um, to in that depth, but you said that you kept putting it down, putting it down. How long after you met your sponsor did you begin to start approaching this notebook? 
Uh, not too long. Just a, it, like a couple of weeks. Cause but she, you dragged it out for months. I, I dragged it out for months to finish that first step. Because the first okay. the first step with us, it's like 69 questions. Okay. So, you know, I would, like I said, I would do five or six questions and then I would put it down and, you know, cu- give it a couple more months and then pick it back up. Because um, honestly, I just, I just didn't really believe in it at the time. Like mm-hmm. in my head, it was just stay clean, Maria. So um, at this point, what we're going to do is this is the end of the fifth segment. We're going to come back for our final segment, and we will be right back. The one thing I want you to remember, as always, just trust me. trust me okay this is michael and we are back for the final segment of the recovery story for maria hi maria hey so you are now in an oxford house you have started to realize you needed to do something different you left it in your higher powers hands and decided this is obviously what i'm supposed to do so embraced it moved in you were active in the fellowship that you have found some Guidance in, which is NA, Narcotics Anonymous, um, very helpful to what I would say millions, if not maybe more than that even. Mm. Point being, you're following through this, you're going to meetings, you finally get a sponsor, you're starting the workbook in tandem with reading the book, all of this. And did you start working right away when you got in? I did. I I started working and um, had a nice full-time job. And I, I don't know if it was just all the craziness, trauma throughout all my addiction, but you know, if something doesn't feel good or, or, or whatnot, I lose interest in it and I just shake it off. So I was only there for a couple months Okay. and then I had a, uh, there was another person working there from the meetings and we were talking a little bit, you know, as friends, he wanted more, he ended up being crazy. So I had to quit the job because he was there. So I let go of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I go a while without a job and then I get another job somewhere else. I'm only holding on to that for a couple months. Okay. You know, just, it, it was just up and down, just trying to figure out myself, you know, while I'm trying to just be stabilized at some point. It was just hard. You know, every time I got a job, I was like, oh, no, this isn't going to work out. And I'd quit. Now, when you get into a recovery program like NA, um, a lot of people are talking about faith, higher power, all this. You referenced it before we really got to this portion of your recovery story. Mm -hmm. Did you have any qualms about, you know, some sort of a higher power or accepting that there's something bigger than you or a God figure or something like that? Was that something you struggled with? I do. And um, I still kind of struggle with it now. Okay. Um, uh, like all my life, I grew up, you know, thinking of a God, you know, that was all loving, forgiving, you know, um, and everything of that nature. And as I got older, uh, I started looking at it like this is an evil motherfucker that has punished me in the worst way possible by taking the love of my life and my daughter's father away. Okay. You know, so I, I, I stopped stopped praying, stopped everything, you know, and, 
Um, you know, I do, you know, I do believe just from the miracles and everything that there is a higher power out there. I just don't think it's who I thought it was, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes absolute sense. And would you say that any of your hesitation towards reaching out for a sponsor or beginning the steps, um, that it, that, you know, the 12 steps, so obviously you need to start those steps. Mm -hmm. Um, was any of your apprehension related to anything faith related? No, it was just, you know, pushing myself, you know, to, to just get it done. Like outside it, it was yeah, outside my comfort zone. Okay. So with that in mind as well, you're approaching, so you're, you're working, you're not able to find anything with jobs. Then you're having to go through and figure out, well, this person can't sponsor me without this one and this one and this one. Mm-hmm. You finally find a sponsor and you're still working with that sponsor, which is excellent. You're oh, finding yeah. support within Oxford house and all of this as well. Yep. And can you go ahead and like, let's, let's go ahead and start coasting into one of the other parts of the 2% that I am privy to of your story is what happened in the summer of 2020? What started happening? Uh, summer of 2020, I, you know, was just enjoying myself, you know, hanging out with the fellowship at the beach and stuff like that. Where were you working at this time? uh, At that point in time, I was working part-time at Food Line. Okay. And, um... You're enjoying yourself at the beach? Yeah, I'm enjoying myself at the beach. And I remember one day I had to come back to the house and take a shower. And as I'm taking a shower, I'm, you know, washing behind my ears. And I feel this awkward lump right behind my jawline under my ear just kind of tucked in there, you know, and I was like, what is this? And it feels kind of like a swollen lymph node when you're kind of sick, you know, but it was just a little tougher. And I was like, you know, and it felt weird, but I just ignored it. You know, I didn't think nothing of it. A couple months go by, it just feels tighter and tighter. And so I go to get it checked out, you know, which, um, which I wouldn't have done in my addiction, you know, but it's just like, all right, this feels weird. Yeah, you would have just smoked more or shot more or, or something. Right, right, like, you know, just ignored it, you know. And mm-hmm. then, um, so, and then I also noticed when I would turn certain, my head certain ways, that it would like send off crazy nerve pings all over my face and my lip would twitch or my eye would twitch. And I just didn't, I knew it wasn't normal. So I went and go, got it checked out. And at first they told me that they think it's like some sort of infection and here's some steroids and that didn't do anything. So that's when they gave me an MRI to check it out. And then that's when they found a tumor. Um, it was like an inch. It's like a one by one. Like it was just, it was a pretty big size tumor and it was tucked in back there behind my jawline and under my ear. And, um, so they said, you know, um, this is what we're going to have to do because it's already messing with your face. So it is protruding against, you know, nerves and stuff. So we need to take this out. So, um, what goes through your mind when a doctor comes back to you and tells you it's a tumor? Oh God. At first I was like, what the fuck? At first I was like, oh, I bet you it's cause all the damn drugs I did. (laughs) Like that was the first thing that came to my head. God, what are you doing? Like, was it meth that I shot that one day or was it something that caused this damn tumor? You know, like uh-huh. it just like so much shit went into my head and I'm thinking, oh my God, a tumor. Cancer doesn't run in my family. Yeah. I was about to ask that as well. It doesn't, it doesn't run in my dad's or my mom's. Okay. You know, if anything, it's diabetes or, you know, um, strokes or heart attacks. 
Okay. That's like the big thing over there. It's never cancer. Now, of course, family cancer runs in his family, of course, but not mine, you know, and we're not connected like that. So, but yeah, it, it just boggled my mind and I'm just thinking like, oh my God, a tumor. And it looks big. If you ever see my MRI picture, it looks huge. So did they equate it to like, it's as big as a, it was like a quarter. Okay. Yeah. And, and, uh, they, they said, all right, we're going to schedule a surgery. And so, um, my surgery was the day before Halloween, October the 30th, 2020. And I go in and they do the operation and they did tell me that they believe because they've done biopsies and x-rays that they think it's wrapped around one of my main facial nerves. They're like, we're going to try our best to take this tumor out without messing with it. But if it is wrapped around it, we're going to have to cut it. And so I'm thinking, okay, just give it to my higher power. Please God, don't cut one of my main facial nerves. And so I, and I'm thinking when I, when I'm going into surgery, they're like, yeah, the surgery is going to be just about three hours. I'm packing shit to color after the surgery. Oh, like, like it's just going to be done. I, you know, I got cards. I'm like, yeah, this is just going to be a quick, easy surgery. I'm going to be back at home. No problem. Blah, 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 blah. God, I remember waking up and the doctors and my dad are just looking at me and they just, my dad has this sad look across his face and the doctor says, Maria, I'm sorry, but unfortunately we did have to cut one of your main facial nerves and we had to graft it. And the tumor was also, you know, really big and we had to basically cut behind your ear and in front of your ear and down your neck and open you up and like, you know, get it taken out. And we, you know, there was also a piece down here that they had to get, like they tore me apart Mm. and I could feel it in my face. I was like, oh my God. So how long did the surgery end up taking completely? Not three hours, but nine hours. So yeah, they, they, it it was, it was crazy, but they did do that. And I remember at that point, like I couldn't even talk because my lips, everything was just so paralyzed. Um, I couldn't even talk at that time or even sip water through a straw. Like it was, it was very, everything was recovering. Everything was recovering. Yeah. And not only did they tell me through the biopsies before I got the surgery, like, yeah, it's cancer. Um, after I, you know, healed initially from the the tumor removal, I go home, I come back two weeks later for him to take the drain out of my neck and check me out. He goes, unfortunately, Maria, it's stage four cancer. So explain, and, can you explain yeah. for those that don't know, there's that fourth, there's four stages mm-hmm. of, of the, five stages, five stages, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. of cancer and the higher the higher it is, the more that it has spread throughout the body, which also means like it's not good. It's okay. just not good. You know, when it's stage five, it's basically like out of control and stage four, you is... don't, you have a, like a deadline kind of thing, you know, which is unfortunate, but like stage four is like it's spread and it's really bad, but you could possibly contain it, you know? I don't okay. kind of, Like, I remember looking it up real quick on, like, cancer, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, it's like a cancer.org. Something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you looked it up, mm-hmm. and what were your immediate thoughts to that? So now you don't have a tumor, or I'm sorry, now you don't have just a tumor. Right. It is stage four cancer. It's stage four, because they when they did the surgery, they also pulled a piece of the nerve. They took a piece of my uh, skeleton muscle. They took, you know, a couple of other lymph nodes, because you have like 40 of them on your neck. They took a couple of those to test, and that's when it came out positive. And so it shows that it was spreading. 
And he also said that it was spreading up my nerve into my skeletal muscles. So if I were to just let this go and ignore it, it would eventually travel up my nerve and into my brain. And then gotcha. that would have been a whole nother story. Okay. But, um, yeah, it, he ended up diagnosing it as stage four cancer cause it's spread. And, um, at that point, like, what I, are you thinking? I was still like in shock. You know, I'm thinking first thing I thought was like, what did I deserve to get this? Like, what did I do in my past life or even in my life of addiction? Did I do something so wrong to get this? Cause mm-hmm. I'm all, here. I am already beat up over the fact that my face is half paralyzed. And not only that, but now I got stage four cancer. Right. And I just thought about my kids. I was like, like, what the fuck, you know? And then a part of me was like, seriously, Maria, you did all these years and years and years of bullshit and fucking working and, and doing drugs and living this chaotic fucked up life. And the minute you actually surrender yourself to a new life and get clean, you get stage four cancer. Right. Like what the, like I was angry. Like, what did I do? You know, like, well, you know, what did I do so wrong to do to get this? And, and it's still like, I'm still in shock. Honestly, even now I'm still in shock, but you know, that's what I kept wondering. Like, what did I do so wrong to get this? Why me? Why me? So where you're at right now versus where you were, this happened, this diagnosis was, came to you when? Um, this diagnosis was in November of, of 2020. So just a few months ago. Yeah, just a few months so ago. So just a few months ago, you got that. What was the order that you needed to follow? What did they say you need to do to take precautions? Well, at first they said, um, we're going to do radiation. And I said, okay. So I started looking up radiation and I just mentally prepared myself for it. Okay. And we were going to start that actually early in December. But then I got a call from... Um, an oncologist, and he says, oh, no, 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 we're assigning you chemo and radiation. Wow. So we need you to see the chemo doctor. And I'm freaking out. I'm like, great. So not only did I just get my fucking face fucked up, you know, I'm, I got stage four cancer, and now I'm going to have to fucking lose all my hair. Like, shit's about to get real, and shit's about to get real fucked up. Like, I was, I was really fucked up in my head. Okay. And... And, you know, but then he said, when I went and saw him, he, he talked to the doctor that did my surgery and the doctor says, I am a hundred percent positive that I got all of the tumor out. I think we should just do radiation. Thank God. So thank God that I didn't have to do chemo and radiation. It's just radiation. So how many times did you have to go get radiation? Um, they, it started, um, late December, very early January. So, I had to do 35 treatments. And your 35th treatment was complete as of? Friday. Yesterday. Oh, yesterday. Duh. (laughs) Yay. So, yes, that's an immense accomplishment on your end because I know I saw that you rang the bell. Yes. And you were like, I'm fucking out of here and I hope this is the end of that. So so with that in mind, um, one of the things that you brought up that we're going to circle back to is your state of mind. So we're going to take our last break and we'll be back for the conclusion.
Welcome back. So you've had your final treatment yesterday. What are the chances of anything coming of this further? How much longer are the thoughts on this uh, situation where you were talking about that's paralyzed a portion of your face, of the muscle issues? Right. Where are we at with all of that for you? Well, um, they did something called graphing, like they graphed my nerve, which means that they put something in there, like a stent or something to guide my nerves back to heal. And the nerves, um, they take a long time to grow back. If anyone's had any nerve damage, it takes forever to grow back. So this is going to be this way for a while like I even told my old self goodbye like the way I used to look I said goodbye to it and I actually grieved my old self my old physical face which was very hard yeah you know because all my life I thought at least the one thing I had was my smile you know I got great teeth I ain't gonna lie I got I got nice white ass big chiclet teeth you know (laughs) like I got beautiful lips you know what I mean like I was blessed with a beautiful smile and I can't smile okay and so that it's that in itself it it just hurt you know what I mean and um so I, I had to just say goodbye to my old self. Like I couldn't even, I, I, I still now struggle looking in the mirror. I can't look in the mirror for more than 20 seconds. Did the thought right away shoot to your head that, you know what, maybe this is over. I'm just going to go back to using. Oh yeah. So how did you control that? And what did that thought feel like to you? Um, I felt that when, when I got the news that I had to do chemo, I I was like, great, now I'm really about to go through hell. And to be honest, I, I witnessed somebody that had went through cancer in these meetings. And rumor was it that he used. And in all honesty, it's like, you know what, if you're facing death, you know, I can't tell you whether or not to use or not. So I never judged. But it's like I can see how that desperation can come about. Absolutely. Because it's like well, fuck, if I'm going to die and I'm going to die suffering, well, fuck that shit. I'm going to die feeling good. Right. You know, so like a part of me just wanted to say, fuck it. You know, if if this is what you got to go through, Maria, and your chances, like the percentage chance of me actually getting through it, 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 it was like 60%. You know what I mean? Um, but Which is pretty high. Which is pretty high. Um, but, but it's not 90%, but it's not 90%, (laughs) right? right. So my brain's like, bitch, that's close to 50. Fuck (laughs) that shit. So, you know, I, a part of me just wanted to be like, this can be your excuse, Maria. This could be your excuse to use. You have stage four fucking cancer. You know, your face is fucked. So what did you do to get back into your spiritual balance? Who were you talking to? What were you doing? I was still in the program this whole time. You know, even after my surgery, uh, as soon as I got the drain taken out of my neck, I went right back to a meeting. I stuck with these meetings. Awesome. And I just was just honest with my feelings to anybody that still stuck by my side. You know, anybody like that I call friends, you know, or family, like my sponsor. You know, I got a couple of sisters that I met in these programs that I love to death. You know, anybody that was that had my back that whole time I started being honest and open 
you know, and I would cry and say, I don't know what to do with my feelings right now. I just want them to end. I want right. this pain, this emotional pain, this physical pain, this mental pain. I, I just want it to fucking end. And I am at a point where I don't know what to do. And the only thing I know how to do is to go run to heroin, which will kill my emotional pain. You right. know, that quote unquote helped me get over my fiance's death when it, which right. it didn't, but like things like that, like a part of me was just like, I just want to release from this pain. And I just kept going with that, you know, and the, you know, everyone just kept checking on me and just being by my side, you know, and listening to me just cry on the phone or hold me while I cried until I got it out and kept reminding me, you know, that it's going to be okay. Put it out there to the universe that it's going to be all right. You're going to get through the radiation. Your your face is going to come back. You know what I mean? You'll be able to work again and get your kids back and, you know, get all these things back. Don't quit. You know, they always say don't quit before, you know, the five miracle. minutes before the miracle. And I'm always <laughs> like, shut the fuck up. There's no miracle. Like, the shit's already happening, you know. like. <laughs> right. And I hated those. I hated those sayings. But honestly, those sayings kept me alive. Like, when they were like, don't quit five minutes before the miracle. You know, time takes time. Because I'm sitting here, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I'm sitting here like, hurry up, face. Hurry up and fix yourself. I want my smile back. Hurry up this. Hurry up radiation. Like, I'm just... You know, and everyone's like, time takes time. And I'm like, shut the hell up. You're not going through what I'm going through. You don't understand. Right. And there's people that are actually in the meetings that been through cancer. And they tell me, you're going to be okay. Right. You're going to be all right. This is what happened to me. This is what I had to go through. This is what happened to me while I was going through it. And just their stories helped me, you know. And just being able to feel that love and support that, you know, people got my back, like, doesn't it just blow your mind it when you're talking mind. to people in the rooms and you realize, I guess I'm not so fucking special. Exactly. <laughs> you know, there is somebody else with my story, you know? Yeah. I, I or had, parts of it. Or parts of it. I yeah. actually met a girl at a late night meeting. Her fiance died the same exact fucking night that mine did. Wow. November the 23rd, 2018, her fiance passed away from an overdose. That's, That's wow. insane. Exactly. When she said that, I'm in the meeting and I just threw my hands in the air like, what the fuck? Like, this is right. crazy. And my friend's like, spiritual. <laughs> like, this is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just mentioned a moment ago about, you know, I'm going to get my kids back. Let's mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that. So we haven't really touched on them much, and I'm, I wasn't really pushing that. I just wanted to briefly go over. So where are you at right now? What's your relationship like with your children right now? Um, my son is 17 years old now. Okay. He's an amazing person. He is, oh, God, I swear he was born with an old soul. He's just a hippie guy. He loves to play music. You know, my brother that lived with me for you know, a little while that was clean for six years. He passed away last year also from an overdose because he relapsed. Wow. But he okay. got my son to pick up his guitar again, and my son has been playing ever since. He's just an old hippie. He likes to wear tie-dye T-shirts. <laughs> he has a heart of gold. You know, he loves his little sister to death, and this boy has, has seen his mother homeless. He has seen his mother cry on the floor with withdrawals. 
you know, uh, there was one time where I had to give him his sister and say, I can't do it tonight. I need your help. I, I got to throw up, you know, like how was, old was he? He was 15 at that time. Wow. He's, he's, he's been there by my side when Corey died, you know, and he knew Corey. I mean, me and Corey were together for 10 years. So he knew Corey since he was five years old. So it was like losing somebody important in his life. My son, I mean, and still to this day, he has my back and he still loves me like mm. nothing has ever happened. And like, if that isn't a blessing just by itself, I don't know what is. Cause you know, I always apologize. Look, I'm sorry. Your mom was a fuck up for this whole time. You know, like, I'm so sorry I fucked up and he goes, it's okay, mom. You're good now. Aww. You know, he's like. You're, he's like, you're doing so much better than you were even a year ago, Mom. Just keep going and just stay clean. That's beautiful. He calls me all the time, checks on me. He is like, he's the man. I call him D-Man. He's D-Man. <laughs> and, yeah, he, I'm just blessed that he doesn't hate me through all the shit that I put him through. Right. He just still loves his mom, you know. And It's beautiful because I've heard from other people that when when they do go out and their children see it, and their mm-hmm. children go through it, the biggest thought process to that parent, uh, whether it's a father, mother, the biggest uh, thing they wonder is, now they hate me. I've already ruined it. I've wrecked it. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, not thinking about the fact that that kid just wants a parent. Right. That kid just wants someone they can rely on. So if you can make a comeback more often than not, that kid would like you back. Oh, yeah. You know, so that's beautiful that your son is right there. How are things with your daughter? Uh, my daughter, uh, she'll be three in April. Okay. And um, she's just a spitting image of of her daddy. <laughs> Head to toe. She's tall like him. She looks like him. You know, Corey never liked hot dogs and mac and cheese. She hates hot dogs and mac and cheese. I don't understand <laughs> how that works. But she's, you know, she's just... She's just a wonderful, smart little girl, and she does stay with my friend who initially took her in the beginning. Um, She still stays with her full-time. You know, I get her on weekends. I haven't been getting her lately because of the treatments and everything, you know, just taking a break to heal from that. But, you know, eventually I'll start getting her every weekend again. But um, Stacy's, you know, hadn't asked for anything. She's just like, I got her as long as you need me to. Just get back on your feet. That's beautiful. So all I have to do now is just get it together and get a place, you know. And they tell me, take your time. Take your time. Yeah. It's okay. You know, she gets to, I still get to see her. She still knows who her mom is. She still knows who her daddy is when she sees pictures of him. She's just an all-around smart, happy-go-lucky girl. So I honestly, when it comes to my kids, like, I'm truly blessed I'm truly blessed because, you know, Corey hated his mother for being a crack addict. Right. He he used to tell people that she was dead. Okay. And I was so scared that that would, that would be my son. Right. Or even my daughter, you know. And it just, like, I'm, that, it, I just have peace in my life knowing that if I were to go tomorrow that my kids are okay. That's beautiful. You know. And at least you have that now, but luckily now you also have the resolve that, Unfortunately, Maria, I think you got a lot more living to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we're I think we're all going to be stuck with you for a while longer, yep. and the world is okay with that. So I ain't going um, nowhere. As we close out this session, um, of course, we're going to come right back to where you are at in your recovery now emotionally. So, what does recovery feel like to you 
now? How do you feel? Oh God. Um, I had this like awakening like a week ago, you know, it was right before my treatments were done. And when you say awakening, they do talk about having a spiritual awakening. So what did that look like for you? Was this the beginning? Was this just one massive epiphany? What? It was, um, it, it happened like in threes, to be honest, you know, um, because throughout the surgery and all that stuff, I had like these things that would happen to me too, that did not turn out well. You know, I spoke with a guy during the summertime that didn't turn out well. I ended up talking to another guy that I really liked a lot that didn't turn out well. So I also had like these heartaches in between, you know, I had the passing of my brother, which tore my heart apart. You know, I had all these things. And you didn't use through it. And I didn't use through any of that. Beautiful. And, you know, so there was a a spiritual awakening that I didn't like. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. At first it was like, bitch, these things happened. Not the death of my brother or or anything like that. But, you know, these things happen because you got a lot of growing to do, misdeeds, you know. And sometimes (laughs) the problem isn't everybody else. Mm -hmm. It's the choices that you made and the things that you allowed to happen. So I learned that and I kind of was like, fuck you universe, I get it. And then after that, um, you know, it was like this strength that I got out of nowhere. It was like, Maria, you are this person right now. You have always been the strong bitch. You have always handled whatever the fuck you had to handle. You know what I mean? You've been through shit that other people would have folded on real quick. Like... You got this. Fucking get yourself up. Brush brush yourself up. Put your big girl's panties on and just fucking get going. Right. And then that gave me the strength. And then recently, a week ago, I just, God, I, I didn't know if it was the time of the month or whatever, but I was just an emotional wreck. I was just crying all over the place, but it wasn't a bad cry. Okay. It was like this, this sense of relief and happiness. I sat there for a second and I was in peace with everything that I had at my, at that point in time, I was texting people, you know, Stacy, my sisters, my sponsor, you know, all my friends and just saying, look, I am so fucking grateful for you. I am so grateful for our friendship. I'm so happy you were there for me at this point in time. I just want to let you know that I love you. And I'm so fucking thankful for you. Said it to my son, said it to my parents said it to anybody that was just there at that point in my life. And I am like, I'm, I'm at a point right now in my recovery where, you know, even though I just been through the ringer, I just went through all this crazy shit, um, you know, in my addiction and sober, I've been through a lot of shit. Like, like I said, yes, you have. I'm not trying to boast, but a lot of people, I don't think, couldn't make it, you know, especially I think about the people that go through this shit alone. Right. Oh my God. You know, um, I'm just grateful, uh, like eternally grateful. I'll always be grateful for the love and support that I got through, you know, being sober, my friends, my family, this program, Oxford, everything, all the choices that I made when I was, surrendering and willingness, all those choices that I made that happened to me, everything just turned out great. You know, even Oxford helped me out with rent. Right, right. So, because I couldn't work. It's beautiful because it's supposed to be like an alternate family. It is. And that's exactly what it's been for you. And that's beautiful. It was no questions asked when they were like, 
let's get together and help her, no questions asked. And there was even some of them that was just giving me cash on the side because it was around Christmas time. And they said, this isn't for your rent. This is for Christmas for your babies. Like That's so beautiful. I did not have to suffer or worry. Mm -hmm. I could just focus on myself and get through this shit, which was fucking hard, just that by itself. So I couldn't imagine the people out there with no love and support that have to worry about that shit. Like, oh, my God. Like that, that, those are the true heroes that get through that shit alone. But I'm just so grateful. I'm honestly grateful in my recovery right now. And something you had talked to me about before this, because I asked you about it. So I'm just going to read this to you. And I want you to just think on it and tell me as I'm reading it when I'm done what this means to you. As long as the ties that bind us together are stronger than those that would tear us apart, all will be well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if people listen to me in the meetings, I always say that out loud. Like, you know, people always say certain things out loud all the time. That's one thing that I always say out loud when the person's reading it. Cause it's so important to me. Um, no matter whether we're fighting with somebody in the meetings or in the, you know, the, the, the sober community that we're in or Oxford or whatever, no matter what's going on, um, If people come together through love, like genuine love for one another as a struggling addict, you know, or even as just somebody that's just struggling. And if you're there to hold their hand and pick them up and you forget about all the egotistical things that a lot of people think of on a daily basis, you know, oh, I'm not going to do that because I don't like that person. Right. You know, or pettiness out the window or I'm not. Yeah. Or I'm not going to do that because she's not hot enough for a ride, Right. you know, or I really don't like her. So I'm not going to give her a ride, you know, just things like that, that tears any foundation apart. Right. But when you take, I've learned, especially with the surgery and everything, take somebody's looks away, take somebody's money away, take everything away. What do you have? You know, you, you have your character, you, you have your word. You have, you know, when you die, people remember you by how you made them feel. Not the way you looked, the way you, you know what I mean, what you had. It's how you made them feel. And when you come together as a community and have this entity of love, you know, you save lives like that. So when when I hear that saying, it makes me think, as long as we're together like this, No matter what, you know, as long as the ties that bind us together are stronger than those that would tear us apart, then all will be well. Absolutely. And I I love that fucking saying. Absolutely. And the last thing I want to touch on before we go is going to be there's people listening out there that are going through something. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, everybody is going through Mm -hmm. something. So... Just rapid fire real quick. What comes to mind? Number one, what would you say to a single mother that's out there right now trying to hustle and she feels like she just can't keep it together? Mm. God. When I was that mother, um, I would have loved for someone to just tell me to give myself a break. To pull my chin up and tell me that, you know, it's going to be okay. And don't be so fucking hard on yourself. What do you say to someone who's out there listening that has just experienced a massive, unexpected, 
loss and all they can do is blame themselves. Mm. It goes back to the serenity prayer. There are things in this world and in this universe that you can't control. You can spend all your money. You can try your best to protect as much as you can. But if something's going to happen, it's going to happen, regardless of what you do say, you know, feel anything. So unfortunately, when it comes to death, you know, and someone feels like they, they, it's a traumatic loss and, and they feel like they're, it's their fault or they, can, they should have done something about it, you know, it's hard and it takes time to realize that there's nothing they could have done. It's just out of their control. And finally, if there's someone out there that's listening and they keep feeling like the only way to cope is just, I'm going to try to give myself this moment and I'm going to go ahead and stop. I think I can put this down. I think I can stop. Mm-hmm. And they keep going back and they keep using. What would you say to an addict out there that maybe what they need to know is that there is another way? Yes, basically that. Um, that they're number one, they're not alone. Their thoughts, you know, their thoughts, their feelings, all that, they're not alone. And... You know, there is a better life out there. I mean, when you listen to my story, you know, I mean, God, I've been homeless. I begged for change, you know, been assaulted, been all kinds of shit, you know, seen so many things, done so many damn things. And, you know, I got war stories for days, but no matter how bad your choices were, it doesn't make you a horrible person because I know deep down I'm finding myself again and there is a better life. There is a better life out there. It's just, honestly, you just have to surrender 100% to it. You have to throw your hands in the air and say, okay, I'm yours. There, There's no 90%, 80%, none of that. There, It's 100% all in or you'll never make it. I a thousand percent a agree thousand, with you on that. Yes. Absolutely. I don't think anyone could put it any better. I am very humbled by the fact that you took a chance on telling your story right here for all of us about recovery. Um, it definitely takes a person pure of heart and to be very open and unapologetic. You've just got to get it out there because it's more important that everyone knows because somebody might hear that one thing that they needed to hear. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for being here, Maria. Love you so much. Thank you for having me. And I hope that everyone out there has a great night. And if anyone needs any resources, don't forget, you can always go online, na.org. Shout out to her fellowship. She has found a solution that she is choosing to live in one day at a time right now. So um, thank you so much for being here. Thank you all. Have a great night. And remember, just trust me, okay? This is Michael.